0: Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. If we have not had the privilege of meeting yet, and this morning we find ourselves diving in to part three of this series we've been in called Breakthrough. And throughout this entire series, we've been acknowledging this reality that exists in every single one of our lives and in every single one of our stories. And it's simply this. That for every single one of us, we find ourselves in different scenarios and circumstances of all lives up against things in which we are hoping that things will change for the better. That maybe as we look at our own lives and our own circumstances, that there are things that we look at that we wish were a little or a lot better, that, that feel broken in our lives. For some of us, it may be in a relationship. For others, it's our finances. Maybe for you, you find yourself in this predicament in which you feel like you're up against something in your health, physically, mentally. Or maybe you just look out into our world and what you see in our world is a whole lot of broken things that flat out break your heart. And yet time and time again, when up against these things in which we are hoping for things to get better and to change in our lives or in our world for the better, oftentimes we find ourselves up against insurmountable odds. This insurmountable obstacle in our life, this wall that keeps us from getting where we are to where we want to be. And yet oftentimes in those moments of our lives in which we find ourselves up against things, in which it feels like there's nothing left for us to do, no way we can overcome this wall, this insurmountable obstacle in our life, deep inside of us there is this desire, this hope for a breakthrough. And yet oftentimes in those moments of our lives we overlook or miss two things. The first is this is that as Christ followers, we have a God on our side, a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way, a God who's working when we can't see it, when we can't feel it, a God who is a God of the breakthrough, and nothing is impossible for him. And secondly, that we have at our disposal this essential ingredient that has the potential to unlock the breakthroughs we desire in our lives. And that essential ingredient is prayer. That's the driving force of this series. And yet if you're anything like me, what I recognize is the moment we start talking about prayer and I look at prayer in my own life, what I recognize is that oftentimes prayer can be overwhelming and somewhat confusing. When we look at prayer in our own lives and in our own stories, it's quite natural for there to be all of these questions that rise to the surface. Questions like, does prayer even do anything? And what's the purpose of prayer? And is prayer really powerful? And is God even listening? And yet oftentimes as we find ourselves trudging through all of these questions, what we also realize is this, is that it's hard to fully engage in something unless you first understand it. And so this particular series has been an attempt for us in this season of our collective and individual journey to give us a better understanding of what prayer really is and our direct line of communication that we have to our creator, the God of the universe. And throughout this series, we've been addressing the hows and the whats and the whys of prayer. And as we've moved through the first several weeks of this series, and as I, much like many of you probably, have found myself engaging in the 21 days of prayer guide that has been created for us to be able to all be praying in the same direction in this season of transition as we get ready to embark on this huge move and all it brings with it and what we believe God is setting the table for. What I've begun to to find about this particular season of my life that really isn't all that dissimilar from a lot of other seasons of my life is that satan is really good at convincing me that you just don't have time to pray Is that in light of the 72 things on your to-do list and the questions of, does prayer really even do anything? If God already knows what he's going to do, what's the purpose of prayer, and is there any point to this? That in light of everything else you have on your to-do list, that that prayer is really just a waste of time and a detraction from everything else that you have to get done in your week. And maybe some of y'all can relate to that. And in the midst of being a 24-7 chauffeur to the three kids that you've got and the overwhelming to-do list from your job and the boss that seems to be sticking his thumb in your back at every turn, you feel like there's just no margin in your life left to carve out some time for prayer. And yet what I've been trying to remind myself of, what I believe is so essential, is this reality that as much as the enemy wants to convince me that I just don't have time to pray, the truth is, in reality, I just don't have time not to. Is that prayer is this incredible privilege that I get. It's a responsibility that I have. And, and prayer holds this incredible potential to unlock something in my life But it's so much more than that, y'all. Not only does prayer do something in me, but it also has the potential to do something for us collectively. And because prayer is that powerful in all lives and in our stories, unlocking a breakthrough and doing something in us individually and something for us collectively, what I believe with all of my heart is simply this is that there is nothing more that the enemy would love to do than to convince you that prayer is simply a useless waste of time in your life. And you've heard me say this many times, as we've moved through different series and we've discussed our own individual journeys, that Satan has these two particular tools that he often pulls out of his tool bags to use in our individual lives as we pursue something better or what God has designed for our future. And you've heard me talk about this reality that those two tools that Satan often uses in all lives are the tools of shame and guilt. And yet there is a third tool in Satan's tool bag that he reserves not for us us individually, but he reserves for us collectively. That as much as he wants to use shame and guilt in your life and in your story individually, there is nothing more that he would love to bring into our collective story than the tool of division. That in every relationship of all lives and every team that we've ever been a part of, that Satan wants us to begin to, to see the things that divide us, not the things that bring us together. And we've all lived this out within our marriages for those of us who are married. That between you and your spouse, from the moment you say, I do, there is nothing that the enemy would like more than to continue to point out all the irreconcilable differences that lie between the two of you. That when it comes to your relationships with your friends, be it real friends or social media friends, sorry, y'all, there's nothing more that Satan would love to do than to have you take offense of every little thing that's said or every little thing that's typed to create a wedge between you and everybody else in your life. And furthermore, when it comes to this place as the local church, us as a body, us as an organization— There is nothing that the enemy would love to do more than to create a wedge between us as an organization, as a church, and convince us that there's no way for us to ever work together and to see eye to eye and to begin to move in the right direction. And the reason why is because Satan knows this. He knows that when the church is unified, it's unstoppable. In fact, that was God's very design for us as the local church. That when the God of the universe put on flesh and blood and stepped onto the pages of history on this earth, he made it very clear that I am founding the local church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stop it. That was God's design for us collectively, and yet what many of us know about our own stories is that that there's always two designs at war in every single one of our stories. God's design for all lives and our futures, and Satan's design for all lives and our futures. While God has come that we might experience life and experience it to the full. What we know is that the enemy approaches all lives and our futures with a design to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants for all lives and our futures. And let's just be ridiculously honest about something. Satan is no dummy, he is ridiculously good at what he does. And what he's fully aware of is the fact that the church is only as strong as it is unified. The church is only as strong as it is unified. And that truth is the very reason why we've chosen this particular series and the 21 Days of Prayer God, for this particular season of our body called Core Community Church. Because here's what we believe with all of our heart. There are few things more unifying in our story collectively than prayer can be. Then being able to pray about the same things and pray in the same direction, it has this incredible power to align our hearts, to make us one voice driving forward together. And if we as a body were capable of becoming more unified in this season, watch out, y'all. This city, this world ain't seen nothing yet. That it would position us to make an even greater impact on our city and our world as we head into our future. See, that very truth and that hope is the reason why this guy named Paul that we talk about so often around here prayed this prayer for you and I as the local church, for you and I as Christ followers, to engage in this thing called unity. Because he knew what unity could unlock in our lives, in our story, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the hope and love of Jesus Christ being portrayed into a hurting and searching world around us. You see, a couple weeks ago when we began this series, I set the table, the expectation for you all of this. That every single week we were going to uncover a different prayer in the New Testament. And in each of those prayers, what we would find is this is that each of those prayers unlocks some essential ingredients for our own prayer life that unlock the potential for us to experience a breakthrough. That when we witnessed how prayer was modeled and done, when we began to implement some of those things into our story individually and today collectively, what we would begin to see is breakthroughs come to fruition in our lives and in our stories, in our city and in our world. And you see, Paul knew the key for us collectively, and because of that, he chose to pray for this one specific thing for you and for I. We find it in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, starting in verse 15. If you haven't done so already, it's a perfect opportunity for you to grab that weekly that you got when you came in. And if you crack that open, we've designed a notes page for you. It'll come up on the screen for you as well. Or if you're with us online, you'll see it come up across the bottom of your screen. But this is Paul's particular prayer for us collectively as the church. Starting in verse 5, Paul prays this. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement... Help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, that God will be given glory. You see, here in this particular passage, Paul's prayer for us 2,000 years ago that still rings true right here, right now in 2023, that is still vitally important for our present and for our future was for us to, as he put it, for us to experience harmony. Or as other translations put it, for us to experience unity collectively in our story. And yet there's two parts of this passage that I just absolutely love, y'all. You see, at the very beginning, Paul prays for for this unity or this harmony for us to experience as the local church. But immediately after, he says, my prayer is for you to experience this sort of harmony with one another. He throws this phrase in that just like drops the gauntlet. He says, my prayer is for you to experience harmony with each other. And then he uses this phrase, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Y'all, this is what Paul is essentially saying. Paul is making a statement that seems obvious to him, but as we live our lives, oftentimes is anything but obvious to us. That as Christ followers... There is no other option, no other fitting lifestyle for us to engage in, but unity with one another. And every single week I've said this, man, if you walked into this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this series is simply an inside look. You are off the hook. You are not held to any of this. But if you are a Christ follower, man, you cannot miss this. When Paul says something like, as is fitting for follow of Christ essentially what he's saying is this there is only one fitting way for us to function as the local church and as individual Christ followers by practicing unity together let me make it simpler get along love one another That is the standard. That is the standard that has been set, the responsibility that has been handed over to us as the local church. But then Paul doesn't stop there, right? He says, as is fitting for those who follow Christ Jesus, this is the standard for you to live by. And then he goes back in, right? And he begins to talk again about finding harmony and praising God with one voice and accepting others. Only to finish with this statement, that that if you've ever read through any of the New Testament, you've probably come across statements like this, and you're like, that's kind of confusing, or it's just kind of a standard way that prayers are ended, and so it really doesn't mean a whole lot. But this, y'all, this carries some significant weight. You see, then he finishes with this statement. I want you to do all of these things to find unity and harmony and to accept others and to love others that God will be given glory. Do you realize what Paul is saying in this moment? He is making this bold statement. For Jesus to be glorified, the church must be unified. Hello. When the church is not unified, Jesus will not be glorified to his fullest extent. Essentially, what Paul is laying out is this. To the degree in which you and I can find unity internally will be the degree to which Christ is externally glorified in our city and in our world. That's what's at stake. That's how big of a deal this is. And I get what some of us are thinking in this moment. Like, I guess I can trust that Paul's a pretty stand-up dude, but, but what does Paul know? And here's the incredible part about this prayer that Paul prays. Paul didn't make this up on his own. He didn't come up with this. He was not the inventor of this prayer. Paul prays this prayer taking a direct cues from one of the very last prayers that Jesus prayed before he was arrested in the garden. That's where this prayer in Paul's letter to the church in Romans comes from. Directly back to one of Jesus' last prayers for us as the local church, for us as Christ followers. That when the God of the universe put on flesh and blood and came to this earth right before he was to meet his imminent demise, to be arrested and mocked and beaten and tortured and humiliated, and essentially murdered on the cross. These were his last wishes for us as his church. We find it in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now this is so good to start with, y'all. Because if you've ever been in the camp in which you're like, hey, hey, this thing that was written a couple thousand years ago really isn't applicable to my life, right here, Jesus throws that out. That what I'm about to pray isn't just for these 11 disciples that are here with me in the garden. Isn't just for my followers right here, right now in 30-something A.D. No, no, no. It's for every follower. Yes, 2,000 years later in 2023, who will ever call themselves Jesus followers. This is my dying wish for you. I pray that they will all be one. I pray that they will live out and engage in unity. And then he like drives it home even further. Like I want them to be so united and this is the picture that he paints. Just as you and I are one. I want them to be as close as you and I are. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, three and one. All that stuff that's kind of confusing and scares us maybe a little bit. Like I want them to experience such intimacy and closeness with one another. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience, here we go again, right? This is exactly what Paul prayed. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I want them to live out to model unity, to experience unity in their stories so that, what does Jesus say? So that ultimately the world will know who I am and how much I love them. That's how the world will see it, by whether or not we can find a way to be unified. Why is this so important right here, right now in 2023? Let me give you an example. Recently, Barna did a study of non-Christians right here in the United States. And they asked them this one question. What would it take for you to simply explore who Jesus is? Do you realize what they found in that study of non-Christians across the United States? In the top three responses from non-Christians, what they responded time and time again to Was that in order for me to even look, to explore who Jesus is, what it's going to take is for me to see a unified church, to see a group of people inside the church who are capable of figuring out how to get along. you see, oftentimes, y'all, what we miss is that the biggest problem in our witness is that we continue to shout into the world, Jesus loves you. He accepts you just as you are. All your mess, all your brokenness, all the things you haven't gotten right along the way. And then the world turns around, and as we're shouting this message of how much Jesus loves them just as they are, what they see is a church full of people who can't even love each other. who can't even figure out how to put their differences aside and to unify for a mission and a cause that's bigger than them and their opinions. Do you realize, y'all, how conflicting, confusing, and hypocritical that message is? You see, if you aren't contributing to the unity of the church, you are discrediting the name of Jesus in our city. Changing our city will only happen with unity. Our world, frankly, y'all, is sick and tired of hearing about the love of Jesus and never seeing it lived out in and through us. So the question that rises to the surface is this. As we live in a world in which it seems like division is just a natural part of everything that's happening around us, Unity isn't modeled on any level. How do we do it? How do we take steps towards unity? How do we begin to live out what Jesus wanted for us as core community church, for us as Christ followers in our story, to be the unstoppable force in our city and our world that he designed us to be? And in the next few minutes, what I want to do is this. I want to simply share with you four simple steps that can move us individually and collectively towards unity, to become that unstoppable force that finds unity so that we can glorify Jesus' name, so that people can see Him for who He really is. The first step is this In order for us to find unity, we have to become individuals and collectively a church that is willing to major in the majors and minor in the minors. To major in the majors and minor in the minors. You see, I get it, y'all. It's no secret that there are no shortage of things within a local church that can become easily divisive. I get it. We all have our own opinions on how everything should be done. Yes, even within this place what style of music we should sing, what the baptistry should look like, how often we should take communion, how we should dress, how wide the chairs should be. Hello, y'all, okay? When Jesus is coming back, how much the church should engage in politics, what gender the preacher should be, what our theology should be, just to name a few. And y'all, we have a God who put on flesh and blood and stepped on to earth to take the nails that I deserved. A God who became man and went to a cross to restore relationship between between a perfect God and an imperfect me. Y'all, that should be what we unite around. That is the major And yet so often in our lives and in our stories collectively, we find every small thing that divides us and that we don't agree on and that we have differing opinions on, and we focus on that. When the major thing of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago is the tipping point in people's eternities right here in our city. Come on, y'all. Can you tell I'm not passionate about this? We have to be mature enough as a body if we want to be an unstoppable force for our city to make the majors the major and the minors the minor in our story. This is what Paul had to say about our tendency right before he wrote that prayer The chapter before, Paul goes into this tendency for us as Christ followers to find all the little things and to bicker about them along the way. And Paul addresses it before he makes this prayer, this plea for unity in our lives. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Don't argue about every little thing that in the grand scheme of the grace and the love of Jesus and what he did on the cross really doesn't matter. (gasps) Really doesn't matter. And let me just be clear about this because it's important for me to throw this in here really quickly. Unity, y'all, doesn't mean uniformity. It's okay within the local church to have differing opinions on some of the minor stuff. That's what makes us a body. It's what makes us different. It's what makes us complete. It's what makes us lifetime learners. That we can listen and be empathetic, and we can hear other people's point of view, and we can have discussion, and we can grow through those differing opinions. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It's okay for us to have differing opinions on some of those minor things, and then at the end of the day... To be willing to acknowledge they're just minor things. If we want to move towards unity, we have to major in the majors and minor in the minors. And then secondly, Paul lays it out in his prayer. We have to become people who accept people just as Jesus accepted us. Remember what Paul said in his prayer? In verse 7. He said, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept others, and here is where the rubber meets the road. As Jesus accepted you, and sometimes, y'all, I need reminded of this. Jesus accepted me when I wasn't deserving, when I was at my lowest point, when I was most screwed up. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that translates out to? That we in our world were called to accept, to love other people just as Jesus accepted us. When we deem, they're not deserving of it. You weren't either. And yet he chose to go first. He chose to set an example. He chose to set the standard. And when we look at it just from what we received, it's a pretty picture when we're on the receiving end. But when we have to flip the script and we have to be the givers, it's a whole lot more difficult. I get it, y'all. It is ridiculously easy to get sucked into the trap of 2023 and to believe that in hiding behind a keyboard... If I don't actually say something rude and mean to somebody's face, then I'm not fully discrediting the gospel. If I just say it on social media, then it's not that big of a deal. Come on, y'all. We are called to something bigger than that. We are called to be better than that. We are called to follow the cues of how Jesus operated in our world, how he accepted and loved and extended grace. Dave Willis wrote this, and I think it's so ridiculously profound. One of the truest signs of maturity in humanity is the ability to disagree with someone and still be respectful. One of the truest signs of maturity in humanity is the ability to disagree with someone and to still be respectful. That's what Jesus modeled. It's the standard that he set. And then third... In order for us to accept others as we've been accepted, there's this essential ingredient that Paul puts at the very beginning of his prayers. Like, if you want to experience harmony, here's what you have to begin to practice. See, we have to become people who develop patience with those who see it different than us. In verse 5, Paul wrote this May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. And this one is ridiculously difficult, at least for me personally. Many of y'all are far better than me, I'm sure, but one of my worst virtues is patience. Anybody else relate? My wife is sitting in the back, shaking her head profusely right now. Because it's difficult for me to be patient with my kids, It's difficult for me to be patient with the person in front of me who's driving seven miles per hour under the speed limit. It's difficult for me to be patient in the grocery store checkout line when it's taking a half an hour to get the ten items or less scanned through in front of me. Y'all, if you see me in the grocery store, don't pick the line and get in behind me. It will be the slowest one, I guarantee you. But what we should all know about our lives and our stories and what's to come in our future is this. There will be no shortage of moments in our lives, in our time here on earth, in which we have differing opinions with countless people around us. It doesn't matter if it's about all the things in the local church that I I listed before, or your sport team or your local government or whatever it is we will have differing opinions on all of those things and in order for us to live out what Jesus calls us to live out in order for us to find unity we have to be capable of developing patience paul challenged us to this in another letter he wrote to the church in ephesus he said this be completely humble and gentle be patient Bearing with one another in love. And this is so good. The Greek word, that's what this was originally written in. The Greek word that's translated here in English, bearing with one another. That word in the Greek is literally translated as, did I say this was so good? This is so good. To put up with. Paul literally wrote, be humble and gentle. Be patient Putting up with other people in love. For the sake of love, in the name of love, in the name of Jesus, develop patience. That if you want to have unity, we have to grow our maturity to extend patience in our relationships. Now y'all, I get it. The first three were hard, and so I thought I'd finish with a fun one. And not only for us to take steps towards unity, do we have to major in the majors and minor in the minors. We have to accept others as Jesus accepted us. We have to be patient with those who see it different than us. But our final unifying step is to unite around a common enemy. Y'all, if you consider yourselves to be a Christ follower, there is one thing that is clear we all have a common enemy that is fighting against what's best for us and what the God of the universe who created us and knows us best and loves us most designed us to experience in our lives. One of his followers, Peter, the guy who, who he said, on this rock I will build the local church, what we are all standing on right now, this is what Peter said. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the church down the street, for your great enemy, the person who sees things different than you, for your great enemy, the people living a different lifestyle than you, for your great enemy, the people who have made different mistakes than you've made in your past, For your great enemy, the people who think church should be done differently than what you're presently doing it. Peter didn't say any of that. He said, no, no, no. Our uniting cause is that we have a common enemy that is in one place and in one place only the devil. For he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Because our real enemy isn't the church down the street. It's not the person sitting next to you who sees things differently than you. It's not me who oftentimes does church differently than the way you think church should be done. It's not the person who has a different lifestyle or who has made different mistakes than you. Our enemy is Satan. And here's what we can find common ground on He wants to steal your future. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants to kill your hopes. He wants to steal my future. He wants to rob me of joy. He wants to kill my hopes. He is out for the same thing in every single one of us who calls ourselves Christ followers. And if we could refocus our attention on that we would have a united enemy to rally around and against in our pursuit of showing the love and the hope of the exact opposite to the world, to the city around us. What would change if we kept our eyes focused on that instead of all of the minor differences that we have between us? So here's my question. If a unified church is really what glorifies Christ most is what makes him most known in our city and in our world, and what would it look like within our prayer life, every single morning to wake up and to ask this question, to pray this question? How can I contribute to the unity of my church? How can I contribute to the unity within my church? Major in the majors and minor in the minors. Accept others as Jesus accepted me. To extend patience to those who see it different. And to keep my eyes on a common enemy. And if we were capable of doing that, y'all, you know what we would become capable of? Living out Jesus' final prayer for us. And in turn, this is our driving force in turn, in living out what Jesus prayed for us, someday some people will come to know Jesus who don't know him yet. That's what's at stake. That's why this is such a big deal. But maybe for some of us, there's a different starting point. Maybe for many of us, it simply begins by refocusing our our attention to what we can really be united around. That we have a God whose love was so reckless that it chases us down in our lowest moments. A God whose love was so unbelievable, so reckless, that he went to the cross in my place God, whose love was so reckless, that there's no mountain that stood between us that He wouldn't climb, no wall He wouldn't kick down, no lie He wouldn't tear down. Coming after me, coming after you. That's the gift that has been equally offered to every single one of us, but for those of us who are Christ followers, a gift. That we have been commissioned to not keep to ourselves, but to now share with the world around us. That reckless love is a message that should be our driving force for everything we do. In just a moment, we're going to collectively unite around that driving force by taking communion together. But in the next couple of minutes, I just want to challenge you to something that as you sit and listen to the words of this song, and just simply prepare your heart for what Christ has done for us, how he's accepted us and went to the cross for us, to just allow these words to wash over you to refocus and recenter your heart and our collective heart around what is our driving force and what is the major thing of what Jesus has done in his reckless love for you and for me. Would you allow this truth to recenter all of us around a unity that lasts?